and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Hi, I am Carolina Tot, and this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast. You might have noticed that we haven't been active for a while, uh, but now we got our new sponsor, Apex Lab. We are committed to bringing you the same high-quality content, and we are open to your feedback. So please share your thoughts about this content or any of our previous pieces of content. Please join me in welcoming today's guest, who has over 20 years of software engineering experience, Joy Wilhelm. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get into today's topic, I would like to ask you to just introduce yourself in a couple sentences. What are your most interesting projects or your hobbies? What should we know about you? As you said, I've been I've been uh, doing software engineering for well over 20 years now, uh, sometimes longer than I can remember or like to admit. Um, and uh, really, that is that has been a passion of mine. But in that, even more so is open source software. Uh, that's something that I've been using and passionate about since even before I got my first job as an engineer, uh, just the, the freedom. Uh, it started as I was a 14-year-old kid and didn't want to pay for a, a license for Windows. But from there, it's grown into a uh, really a whole uh, career. Outside of that, uh, I mean, for, for hobbies, I, I uh, actually brew a lot of beer, uh, just bottled some last night. It's, to me, it's uh, got a lot of analogs to software. You're, you're putting together a, a recipe. You're just like with a, a piece of software. You have to design it in the beginning. You go through the whole process of creation, and then you watch it grow into something out of nothing. I love that. Um, you're actually not the first software engineer I know to to brew their own beer, which is um, it's quite something, I think. Um, and I love your analogy. With that said, um, you have kind of given us a little bit of an insight into today's topic. We will talk about open source advocacy and its place in large enterprises or or how open source can be realized at large companies, uh, which I think is um, very interesting and hopefully going to be a pragmatic conversation for the two of us. Um, so to begin with, let's open up with the definition, what is open source software? Um, what, what should we understand within it? That's actually a great question, especially right now, uh, this particular point in time. There's been some, I guess, some contention around that. So open source was originally coined in 1998 with the team building Netscape talking about how do we release this to the community. Since then, there's been a whole lot of uh, organizations, communities built up around this idea. And there is an official 
definition of open source created by the Open Source Initiative. And that's uh, a set of points, and I've actually got it open because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, but the points are there's free redistribution. Uh, you have access to the source code. You can create derived works. Uh, guarantees the integrity of the author's source code. So what you create will not die. Uh, there's no discrimination against persons or groups, no discrimination against fields of endeavor. The license is redistributed with the code, uh, may not be specific to a product. Uh, the license must not restrict other software and it must be technology neutral. Where the contention right now is, uh, is in this no discrimination against fields of endeavor. There are some large technology companies that have adopted a new license that doesn't strictly adhere to this definition. Uh, the business source license, or BSL, is the most popular example, recently adopted by HashiCorp. It's uh, adopted by, it was created by MariaDB. Uh, Elastic has a similar license, Redis Labs, uh, and MongoDB. And the intent of these licenses is they, they hold every piece of the open source definition that I just read, except that they prohibit building a, a competing service. So you can't use Elasticsearch and create your own business around hosting that, directly competing with Elastic, or same with MariaDB, MongoDB. Uh, so there's some contention around this because it doesn't meet the strict definition, but the question now is becoming, does that really matter? You can still get the source code, you can still use these tools, even for commercial uses. Um, you just can't, you know, build a competitor to potentially take down the, the company that built these tools. Uh, so it's, it's quite interesting. There, there may be a, a shift in this at some point or a split even. Please elaborate on, on what kind of a split might that mean? So it could be that, you know, there's, there's the, people who are the strict adherence to this classic definition of open source, what it has been from the beginning, and insistent that, you know, you, you cannot have any restrictions on your license. And that, that definition has been vital to open source. It's gotten it to where it is today, to where you know, open source really runs the world. 96% of software projects utilize open source in some manner. But on the other hand, you have these companies using these slightly restrictive licenses. They restrict building a competitor. And that's really, it's, it's to keep these businesses sustainable. And so I, I can certainly see from a business perspective, I can see the want for that. Um, uh, these came around partly because of companies like AWS. AWS can just take, but they did just take, for example, MariaDB, Redis, Elasticsearch, bundle them up and sell them. And these were hurting the businesses. 
So the, the split here is between this, the hard hardline perspective of all of this must be free, must be open, must not be restricted. And okay, we, we will provide the source. We will give you these tools, let you use them. Just don't compete with us. The second one sounds a little more laid back. Um, are you, are you the open source advocate for the second definition or for the, for the first definition? I think both can be good in the right setting and for the right projects. Um, for, for projects and for tools that are the core of a business, such as HashiCorp's Vault or Terraform, um, I love that they are open and that people can still use them for free. They can modify them for free. In fact, there's been a, a fork created called OpenTF, um, where people are basically taking Terraform in their, their own direction to keep it this classic definition of free. I love that there's that freedom, but I, I think it's important that these businesses are sustainable. I think they need to have some, some way to maintain that uh, because larger businesses can easily just cripple them by, by bundling their services. So I, I think it's it's a difficult balance. You know, there there are definitely tools that don't have businesses built around them um, that keeping them 100% open, free, unrestricted absolutely makes sense. But for these tools where it's it's the lifeblood of a business and that business is the entity building and supporting this tool for the community, I think they need some kind of protections. What are the benefits of open source software or rather based on what you just said, what are the benefits of proprietary software? I haven't really worked with a lot of proprietary software in a long time. It, it the, the idea of building proprietary software at this point kind of blows my mind because like I mentioned earlier, something around 96% of software projects in the world utilize open source in some manner. And it's, it's because, for one, it's so easy. Open source has grown in the past 25 years from just a, a little niche idea to a massive ecosystem. If I'm, if I'm working in Python or in Go, Rust, whatever language I'm working in, and I need a certain piece of functionality, I type one command and I've, I've got a library for it. These massive ecosystems of so many people have built all this tooling, all these libraries that you get for free. The confusion I have with proprietary software is why would you build that if it's already been built for you? And on the other hand, so everybody's consuming open source software, obviously, but contributing back and even releasing your own projects, I think that has a that has major benefits as well. By contributing back to existing projects, you're helping maintain that ecosystem, that community, basically being a, a good citizen. You're saying, I use this, 
I would like to help. And that, that helps improve your standing in the community. It helps grow the tool, not only for yourself, but for everybody else. And that's how it got to where it is. Uh, and also, you know, releasing your own projects, you're saying, I built this and this is very useful for me, but I imagine it's probably useful for other people as well. So let's put it out there and try to attract people, bring people to contribute to this, because not only will it help them, they will improve it for us. And one other big benefit is I like to say it builds your tech brand. So it, it helps with talent attraction and retention. People will be able to go and see, oh, they're building this, this project. I want to be a part of that. Hey, I would love to be paid to work on this project. Maybe I want to go work for this company. And it gives them, if, if you're working on open source, you even build your portfolio in a public space. You can say, I contributed to projects X, Y, and Z. So it helps the individual on that level as well. Let's talk about the, the 3% or, or 4% of, of companies where um, the software that they create is not open source. Do you think it's um, historical reasons or, or are there actual benefits to creating proprietary software uh, that we might not have mentioned? I would suspect that it's primarily historical. Um, as I mentioned, like the just the velocity you gain from using open source is so so massive, so important. Um, you know, it, it's it's probably these it, probably companies that just have massive historical banks of closed source proprietary software. And, you know, they're continuing to build on that. I could see also some very sensitive applications uh, might continue to be proprietary. But there's also a bit of a, a fallacy there in that saying private is more secure. And there's there's also some, some debate around that. Uh, this contention that if we keep our, our source code to ourselves, it is inherently more secure. Well, I, I disagree and many, many other people disagree as well, because when the, when the code is out there in the public, it's got all these eyes on it. And if somebody wants to use your project and they spot a security vulnerability, they're going to report it. That is a, a delicate balance though. There have been, major uh, security problems, for example, with the OpenSSL library. There was the Heartblade vulnerability a number of years ago that caused major problems across the internet. But at the time, the library was maintained by one person. And since then, it's gotten more backing. People have come to understand it needs more people, it needs more sponsorship to be sustainable. Uh, so things like that actually help in the end. Um, but again, I, I think um, to your point, I, I think it probably is mostly historical uh, why, why companies would stay proprietary. But aside from that, I just, I, I don't understand it personally. Uh, 
doesn't doesn't fit in my brain. Right. And you have mentioned security and uh, it is 2023 um, where most of our data is in the cloud and um, most companies are, you know, happy to create open source software, especially uh, with the caveat that you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation of uh, not building uh, competitors to the companies who are releasing these pieces of software. What is usually, as a security engineer, you you must encounter a lot of people who are maybe a, a little taken aback by your advocacy for open source. Um, what are um, their their usual stances, and and what do you say to them? I'd say the usual stance is what I mentioned of you know private uh, private is inherently more secure. It's a a stance commonly known as security through obscurity. And as any security engineer will tell you, that's not actually secure. That's hiding your implementation details and hoping that nobody sees it. It's saying there's probably things in here that are insecure. We haven't found them yet, so we're not going to let you find them. But eventually, somebody will find them. It's it's akin to uh, hiding a backdoor in an encryption algorithm. If, if the good guys can use it, so can the bad guys. And somebody will discover it. It's inevitable. Um, I think the, the only way to be as secure as possible is through proactive security. You know, I, I like security through radical transparency as opposed to security through obscurity. Show your hands and say, this is what's here. And there are people who, who make their living from finding vulnerabilities. So go to those people and say, this is what we have. Please help us find vulnerabilities. Don't just hide it. I think that's it's the same with an API as with open source software. You put it out there and say, please find where this is broken and help us with it. I love that. And to your point about um, creating creating um, a better technology brand for yourself, I feel that even if someone is working on your software and they fork whatever you have put out there and you see that they are doing a good job with the software that you have put out there, then you might be able to find the people who are most involved or, or most interested in the piece of software that you have created. So you can use this to your engineering benefit. Absolutely. And that's, that is a common thing. You know, uh, so many of these large projects, they'll have thousands of forks. A lot of times people will create a fork so that they can contribute back. Sometimes they'll create a fork just to add their own features, to do their own thing. Sometimes they don't even think about contributing back. It just doesn't occur to them. But as if you're running that project, you can see that these uh, modifications they're making. And then, like you said, you can reach out to them, say, hey, we would love to incorporate this. And that is that is something that definitely happens. Uh, I've done that on some smaller projects that I run. I'll keep an eye on who is forking, what they're doing. 
Um, and absolutely reach out to them and say, I, I love this. Please, please contribute it back. I would love to get this. I think this is um, a great stance to uh, to take when when you're looking for new engineers for your team. Switching gears a little bit, what are some of the mistakes that people make when releasing open source software? And um, and what are some of the things that large companies should think about or they should consider before releasing open source software? Thinking about again the the three or four percent, or thinking about new companies who haven't quite decided what they are gonna put out there in the world. One of the biggest mistakes that people and that companies make when they're releasing open source software, releasing a project, is the thought that you just put the source code out there and you're done. That's it. We've done open source, yay! But it's not quite that easy. There's more work. There's community building. You have to you have to shout it from the rooftops. You have to tell people it exists. Bring those people in. When those people arrive to to use your project, to contribute to your project, you then have a community that needs management. You know there will be disagreements. Uh, most open source projects nowadays have a code of conduct basically says play nice with each other. It's a very important thing. You have to put up contribution guidelines. Say, listen, we would love for you to contribute to this project. Here is here is how we like to see that. You know, filing bug reports and feature requests. These are the tools we use for building and formatting our code. Um, and so really there's there's that whole element of building and fostering the community that is so essential to any open source project, regardless of the size. So to that point, talking about these, these companies, especially the legacy companies that are looking to release open source, you, you want to make sure you have experts in the field. And there are, um, there are many people who even do this for a living. There are uh, a lot of companies now establishing what's known as an OSPO, an open source program office. And it's run by people who are experts in open source. They, again, they do this for a living and they can build this whole program. They can guide the company into how you responsibly contribute, release projects, how you use open source that's already available. And again, really, really build this, this program, build this community around open source for the company. It almost sounds like a uh, part of open source is really the value of having people look at your code and and with that, get the benefit that you mentioned about finding all the bugs or finding the possible uh, mistakes that leave the, the software open to any kind of malicious attacks or or um, that leave it not as great as it was intended to become. Yes, absolutely. Because nobody's perfect. Everybody needs help. Right, right. And maybe 
I don't want to generalize, but maybe for some of those bigger companies who are sticking to proprietary, they don't want to um, seem like they are not perfect, even though we might know that they they are imperfect. Cool. So you have mentioned that you haven't worked with a lot of proprietary software, but I would love to hear more of your personal story, why you like open source, why you like working with open source, and and what have been some of the challenges that you have had to face or overcome while working with open source software? So I mentioned earlier, I got started with open source very young, uh, using the the uh, a Linux operating system when I was just a, a teenager, and I realized I don't have to go go to the store and buy a CD because it was you had to do that back then. I can just go on the internet, download an entire operating system to run my computer, and it's free. Not only that, I can go and I can talk to the authors. If I have a, a question, if I have a problem, I can go file a bug report. I can shoot off an email and say, hey, why isn't this working right? Or I can even try to fix it myself. And that to me was incredible. I was, again, I was, I was very young. I was figuring out. I can type these words into the computer and I can make things happen. And there's this whole ecosystem of software available where people have already built these tools where they are, they are freely available to me and I can learn so much from them. Uh, and again, that's really what got me into software engineering in the first place was looking at all of this and learning so much from it. It's been fascinating to watch open source grow uh, from where it was. Um, and also my own personal growth has been uh, has been very much tied to this, I think. Um, you know, you ask about challenges and uh, hurdles I've had to overcome with this. And honestly, a lot of them, I think, have been my they've they've been mental they've been my own personal mental blockers um and i i think an important key uh, a key message for anybody who's cons looking at open source considering open source is just to remember that open source is built by those who show up all you have to do is show up I know there there are definitely people who maybe aren't as privileged and can't easily do that. But if you are able to, just show up. Go use a piece of open source software. Go file a bug report if you have a problem. File a feature request. Most projects are very happy to to hear these things. And that in itself, filing a bug report is contributing to open source. You are helping the project. Even if you're not able to write code, write some documentation, maybe. And and I always had this hang up of, oh, I'm using all of this stuff. I'm learning so much from it, but I'm not giving back. And then I, I realized I am. I'm talking to these people. I'm talking through my problems. I'm helping improve the, the products, helping improve the documentation. 
even if I'm not writing code. And that, for me, that really opened a door. And after that, oddly enough, I've begun contributing more, contributing code to these projects because I, I unlocked that and said, wait, I'm already contributing. I don't, that's not a hurdle I have to get past. Just by showing up, I am helping these projects. I'm contributing. Uh, and that's, I think that's the, the biggest hurdle, the biggest learning that I've had in this growth. What would you say to those software engineers who are out there in the, in the field of the internet and they think, why should I help companies who are making money off of the software that I am contributing to? That is a great question. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, this is just altruism. You're just giving things for free and that you're expected to give all your work away for free. And that's not entirely true. For one, I mentioned earlier, you're building a public portfolio. You know, even if you don't work for Google or Microsoft, if you contribute to their project, to their projects and their products, you can say, look, I contributed code to Google. It was good enough for them to adopt it. I contributed code to Microsoft or whatever company you want to contribute to. Yes, they, they may pull that into their product. There's also a little bit of pride in that. If you can say, you know, for example, if you, if you contribute to a project that is being used by, by Google, by Microsoft, and then being used by millions of people, There's a lot of pride in that. That's amazing. But as you continue to build more, you build up that portfolio. You say, these are all the things I've worked on. Companies are going to take notice. And you can also use that if you're applying to a job. I'll often just give a link to my GitHub. Say, you want to see my work? Here's what I've written. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of contention around live coding interviews. A lot of people don't like those. You can say, well, I don't perform well under pressure. You know, I may not have done my best on this interview, but look what I actually built that's working. Uh, so I think it's, it's really great for, from that perspective. And again, there, there is some element of not quite altruism, but you're giving back to a project that you use, you're using it for free. You should, you should want to, or be willing to help it a little bit, help improve it for yourself and for everyone else. In this case, I'm just thinking about all these possible objections that I might hear from, from people that I talk to. So if you are If you're thinking about creating a project um, that might help companies and you you put it out there under the open source license that you have mentioned, um, given that people who use your code will not build um, competition for you, um, is that ever enforced? Uh, is there a way for for companies or, or businesses to make sure that their open source software isn't used to build their competition? So classically, by the, by the strict definition of open source, there is not and there's not intended to be. Um, 
many, many companies are built around this, this concept of open source. Red Hat was the first billion dollar open source company. They, they built a company around Red Hat Linux, which is based on the Linux kernel, which is one of the oldest open source projects. Now there is, there's this new class of licenses that's, that's being discussed a lot, like the business source license. And those do have remediation built into the license text themselves. Um, I, I don't know if those have been actively tried in court. I don't know if there has been, um, if they've been tested and utilized, but I know that they have helped facilitate some conversations with these, with these bigger companies. Um, and they have helped forge partnerships. So even with all of the, all of the confusion and contention it's causing in the, in the community um, with people who are sticking very strict to the open source definition, it has had benefit for these companies. Um, And I'm really excited to see how it plays out in the future. Oh, for sure. Me too. Um, And given our entire conversation, um, one question really arose in my head. Um, You work for Pinwheel. And it's a company with the, with a cool tagline, um, providing income data, um, engineered for fintech innovation. Um, is your software open source and, and how is it? So we, we do utilize a lot of open source software. Um, I mean, our, our core products are built on open source. Um, you know, I, I think to be, to move as quickly as we do as a startup, it has to be. We could not build all of this from scratch. That that would take us decades. And we have started to release some open source projects, not, not our core products. Uh, I don't think that makes sense. Our core products wouldn't be useful to a lot of other people, to a lot of companies. Um, and that's that's an important... Uh, important scope to keep in mind is when you release something, will anybody actually use it? So we're building APIs that are specific to our business. Nobody's going to want to see that. But we have released some projects. Uh, I started one called Volnbot that we use for tracking our, our software vulnerabilities. So it actually calls into uh, existing vulnerability management systems gathers everything that is detected in our software and reports it out to the individual teams that own these projects internally. That one is 100% open source because I think that could be very useful to to other people at other companies. Um, so yes, we we utilize so much open source and. It's important to keep in mind, I mentioned earlier, the open source program office that that's becoming much more prevalent. Utilizing open source is is a key thing to manage, uh, a key thing for for an open source pro, uh, program office to keep track of, because every piece of open source software has its own license you have to make sure you're using ones that don't conflict. There are some licenses that 
will require you under certain circumstances to release your source code. Uh, so you have to be be careful about how it's used. You have to be sure people are not pulling in vulnerable libraries or actively malicious libraries, things like that. As we are approaching um, the end of our conversation, we have we have touched on a lot of different areas of open source. We mentioned that um, there is real value in having the community look at your code and uh, point out possible vulnerabilities. We have also mentioned that it can be really useful for you to recruit some of the best engineers who are actively engaged within uh, within your open source software or within your projects. And we have also mentioned um, that it's very important for you to be actively building the community around the open source software that you that you have put out there, and also uh, be very studious about the software licenses so that you um, that you are within the the green zone of um, creating your own software and and releasing your own software. Is there anything else that you would like to add to our conversation today? I would like to uh, give just a, a quick plug. I've mentioned open source programs offices multiple times, uh, and that's a decently new concept. Um, and for a company that is perhaps looking to start one, looking to get more into open source, there is a lot of help available. There, There is a group called the To Do Group. It stands for Talk Openly, Develop Openly. And it is a consortium of open source program offices from uh, countless large companies, large and small, throughout the world. Uh, and they have all kinds of resources. They have regular webinars. They have documentation, how to start a, uh, an OSPO, how to run an OSPO. Uh, and you can find that at todogroup.org. Uh, it's hugely helpful resource. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I hope our listeners will make sure to check it out. Um, and also, where can our listeners and watchers follow your work if they wanted to get in touch with you? Uh, like uh, like many other engineers, I build up my portfolio on GitHub. So that is that is the easiest place to find me. It's github.com slash Tarkatronic. It's T-A-R-K-A-T-R-O-N-I-C. It's a, an old DJ name. And I've also started putting together a website where I will hopefully soon have some uh, blog posts about open source software, about brewing beer, about uh, struggles as a software engineer. Uh, that's at thejoey.codes. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to, to checking it out. Um, Joey, thank you for this conversation today. I learned a lot and I hope our listeners also learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you for joining Level Up Engineering. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. This was one of the first episodes of Level Up Engineering podcast sponsored by Apex Lab. We are very happy that you could join us for today's episode. I hope that you have gained some new insights from Joey Wilhelm, our guest, a security engineer from Pinwheel. I am Carolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. 
This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.